Potter series. Now, I'm not telling you that I'm old, and neither are these ancient artifacts from a bygone era. I just mean to tell you that as much as we think life changes, a lot of it stays the same. And we should examine our lives in the time in which we live and make sure that we're doing the things that are pleasing to God in whatever generation we find ourselves. I went to high school at a place called MacArthur High School in Hollywood, Florida from 2004 to 2007. I wouldn't say that I was a remarkable high school student in any way. I made good grades for the most part, played sports. I really don't have any outlandish tales to tell you about things I did or didn't do. I was religious. I believed in God. I had a copy of the Bible. And up to that point in my life, I had never really read any of it at length, maybe parts and portions here and there, but I went to whatever church was nearest to me. But this morning, this lesson really isn't about me or anything that I did in high school per se, but it is about that time period in life and what I would say to my younger self in looking back, some lessons that I would apply, some things that I would do differently, some things that I would try to improve on. In one sense, a lesson like this is sort of a useless endeavor because none of us can go back. Once we go forward, there is no turning back. But in another sense, it's a worthwhile endeavor. Because only by looking back can we truly look ahead in the way that God would have us to and to be the people that God would have us to be. Throughout the Bible, people do this. They look back at their lives. You think about Saul that becomes Paul. And several times in his life, he looks back at his upbringing from Judaism and being trained at the feet of Gamaliel. Other times, Paul will look back and talk about things that he did and persecuting the church and how sad that he was that he did those things. But more often than not, Paul was looking back to consider the great upgrade in his life that was his because he had become a disciple of Jesus Christ. The superscription above Psalm 18 and verse 1, David says he wrote that psalm on the day when God delivered him from the hand of Saul and all of his enemies. He looked back with joy as his life had been improved. And Abraham, Jacob, and Joseph all remind generations that are following them about the God that they were serving. And their message to them is, the same God that delivered me can deliver you. And so there's value in looking back and hoping to encourage other people who are in the same circumstance that we find ourselves in, or who will be, that God can bring them through as well. What I want to do in this lesson this morning is simply to look at what I would consider seven phrases or seven rules of life that I would say to my younger self and to say, if I were sitting on the front row this morning, here are some things I wish I had known. Here are some things that I wish I would have emphasized or I would have been aware of. And if you're in high school or approaching the high school age, I hope you'll consider the same. I hope that as you find these things in Scripture, you might just write these seven rules of life right in the front cover of your Bible. If you're a long way from high school and you can't even remember how far back that was, I'm sorry. But I hope there's something in the lesson for you, too, because every one of us needs these seven phrases, these seven rules of life to be true in our lives if we are going to live and honor and glorify God. Let's begin with phrase number one. Dear high school me, I would say learn to enjoy life God's way. You know, there is this idea when we're coming up in the world and the world tells us throw caution to the wind. Do whatever you want. Enjoy life. Be happy. Be a person that has various experiences. Do whatever your heart desires. It's what Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 32. Let us eat and be drink and be merry because tomorrow we die. And then the church typically comes along behind that philosophy and says, oh, no, don't worry about any fun. Don't worry about enjoyment. God's not concerned with you being happy. God wants you to be holy. First Peter 1 says, 
16, you be holy just like God is holy and emphasize the spiritual. And the problem with both of those ideas is they both have a kernel of truth to them, but they lack the true emphasis of what God's telling us in his word. And that is this. God wants your life to be holy. God wants you to focus on the things divine, but not at the expense of joy and enjoyment and happiness. And so in passages like 1 Timothy 6 in verse 17, Paul says God has given us all things richly to enjoy. Jesus says, I've spoken these words to you that my word might remain in you and your joy may be full. John 15, 11. Here, hitherto you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and receive that your joy may be full. John 16 and verse 24. God is not anti-joy. God's not the spiritual cop looking down on earth from the sky, hoping to find anybody enjoying themselves so that he can turn their smile into a frown. Instead, God wants us to enjoy our lives, but he wants us to do it his way. The world has a habit of telling us to do things that ultimately lead to doom and dread and to regret. But God's idea of joy leads to satisfaction and happiness and fulfillment. Turn your Bible to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and notice what Solomon says in verse 24. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 24, Solomon says there really is nothing better for man than to eat and drink and enjoy his toil. And notice the last part of this verse. Solomon says, this I saw, it was from the hand of God. I would say to my younger self, enjoy life, but be sure to do it God's way. Peter says, if a man would love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him seek good and turn away from evil. Seek peace and pursue it. First Peter 3, 10 and 11 Make the most of the life that God's blessed you with and be sure to enjoy it God's way. Text neck is an epidemic, or at least they're calling it a global epidemic. And what it is, it's a condition that researchers are finding that plagues the body. This isn't just true about young people. It is this idea that because our heads are so focused looking downward at screens and tablets and technological devices and the awkward ways in which our heads and our shoulders are positioned, is putting a strain on the neck that they say will lead to lifelong damage and tension and frustration. And what I would say to my younger self is beware of seeing social media as the real world. Look up and go out and make true and lasting friendships with real people that really do exist. There's nothing wrong with technology, but it's just a slither and a portion of what life's all about. God has something far greater in store for us, and we don't want to miss it because we didn't have our heads up to see it. I would say be sure to enjoy the life that God has given us in the way that God has blessed us to enjoy it. Again, God's not anti-fun or fulfillment, but God says, I want you to do things in a way that honors and pleases me. In his eternal wisdom, God has worked out things in such a way that those that are on the younger timeline, the younger side of life, aren't really shouldering the heavy burdens that will eventually be theirs as life progresses. I'm not saying to you that if you're in high school, you have no responsibilities. I'm just telling you, if you go out to check the mail and much of it doesn't come back with your name on it, rejoice. There aren't any bills. There aren't any responsibilities. Sure, brushing your teeth and cleaning your room seem like very important things, almost unbearable now. But there will be a time when you look back and would love to swap places with your younger self and so enjoy it. Don't walk around with this mug on your face as if you own all of the world's problems because you don't. Researchers from the United Kingdom did a study on the age group that they found that smiles the most. I don't know what you think they found, but they found that the age group that smiles the most is the age group that's 55 years old and older. They said that young people, though they often smile, their smiles are insincere. They're fake. They're for the moment. They're for a pose. They really don't mean it. And if I was talking to my younger self, I would say, 
be sure to enjoy life God's way. God wants you to enjoy it. The reading that Josh read for us a moment ago, Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 9, Solomon says, rejoice, O man, in your youth. It's a blessing from God. And so we shouldn't despise it. We should enjoy it because that's who it's come from. I think I'm going to end up having to preach from right here, but I'm going to break out in a rash if I've got to stay still. So I'm trying to stay by the mic, but I don't think this is working. All right. Number two, phrase number two, I would say, don't waste your life. In the high school years, there's so much pulling on you and pressing for time between academics and hobbies and sports and all of the things that are clamoring for attention and affection. There's this temptation that if you don't get it all done, your days in your life really won't be as fulfilling as other people. And you've got all of these things that are pressing on you that you just got to do. You've got to be involved in everything. And I would say, don't waste your life. Whatever you do, don't waste it. God has made us for his glory. And anything that we live for in response to that or instead of that, we're ultimately selling ourselves short. Isaiah 43 and verse 7, God says, I've created all men for my glory. That doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to enjoy hobbies and do our best in academics and in sports. But it is to say to put those things first is to live for that which we truly weren't made for. Right now, our world's big on experiences. Where have you been? Who did you go with? How much of a good time did you have? And did you post it? Listen, when it comes to experiences, nobody had more experiences and a more extravagant living experience than King Solomon. Nobody saw more gold. Nobody had more food and wine at his disposal. No one was as well read as Solomon. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter two, verses nine and eleven. Solomon says there was nothing that my eyes saw that I didn't purchase or acquire for myself. That's to say if Solomon saw it and he wanted it, he could have it. And he concludes in the end, it was all vanity, vanities of vanities. All of it was meaningless apart from a relationship with God. Turn your Bible to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and let's notice his conclusion. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, after Solomon had surveyed all that this world can offer, he says in chapter 12, verse 13 and 14, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every work into the judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or evil. Notice he says this right after verse one, where he says, remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the days draw near and the years come now when you your soul will say I have no pleasure in them. It's as if Solomon is saying it's easier to remember God in your younger years and in those stages and don't squander that opportunity. Give yourself over to spiritual things and do it as soon as you can. Don't waste your life. Beware of building sandcastles that will diminish as soon as you've built them. Solomon says, give your life to things eternal. What does that mean? It means if I was talking to my high school self, if you're in high school, I would say this. I would say, don't postpone faithfulness to God. You know, sometimes a young person goes to camp and obeys the gospel. And I I think that's a great thing. Or they study with their parents and they come to the conclusion, I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And there's that moment of baptism and excitement and praise. And maybe there are youth rallies. And other events that a young person goes to and there are thousands or hundreds of people gathered and there's singing and there's praise. But outside of those special events, spirituality can kind of be a sort of humdrum experience where this person really is not serious about divine things. And I would say to you, if you've obeyed the gospel, if you've said, I believe Jesus is the son of God and you said, I'm mature enough to respond to that in faith, then you have a responsibility right now to live as if that's the case. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2, behold, now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. Give God your best right now. 
Sure, you can view yourself as the church of tomorrow, but if you're in Christ, you're the church of today and don't squander that influence or those opportunities. Serve him now. Jesus was speaking to you when he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. We should seek the kingdom first, but we should do it first. Don't waste your life. Damian McIntosh played about 10 years in the NFL. I don't expect you to know his name. There's really nothing special about Mr. McIntosh except for the fact he went to the same high school that I went to. And one one day in football practice, they told us that Mr. McIntosh, offensive lineman for the Miami Dolphins, had come to our school to sort of walk around, give a few speeches, and he wanted to talk to the football team. He got all of us together. I still remember the tree we took a knee under when Mr. McIntosh came and talked to us. And he said, listen, I'm in the NFL. I'm having a great career. But I just want to tell you something. Out of this whole football team, only about 3% of you even have a chance at being considered for the NFL. When you're in high school, everybody thinks they're going to the NFL. We were crushed. He said, you won't make it. He said, some of you, your life may be cut short. Some of you will go to prison. Some of you won't keep the grade. Some of you, other interests will take you away. I'm just telling you, there's a very slim chance that anybody in this group will actually play professional sports. He says, instead, don't build your dreams and hopes on something that may happen. He says, focus on things that are guaranteed. He said, focus on education and on school. And you know, out of that group, all of us that were gathered there on that high school football team, what percentage of us actually played in the NFL? This is easy math. Zero. Paul would say, we know that if the earthly house of this tabernacle be dissolved, we have a house, a building from God, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That is, you can know that. You can know that you have eternal life. First John 5 and verse 13. There's a slim chance that you will be famous or play professional sports, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it is a guarantee that you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so prepare. Be ready. Don't waste your life. Give it to God right now. Do everything you can in the kingdom of God. Read your Bible like you believe it's inspired right now. Pray to God like he hears you right now because he does. When you're in worship, don't be in this camp that's too cool to actually sing out to the God who made you and gave you your vocal cords to begin with. Praise him right now. Solomon says, because in the end, it's the only thing that really matters. Seek God with everything you have. Don't waste the days of your youth. Instead, give those years to God. I would say to my younger self, don't waste your life. Don't live it in vain. Throughout our country, you can walk in gyms and hallways and there's memorabilia hanging up. People that broke records. People that did great things. And for a moment in time, they had the affection and love of their peers and of their superiors. But many people did it at the expense of God. And now they're forever forgotten in a lot of ways and will be in the day of judgment. If you can have both by all means, it's not inherently sinful to have them. But if you must choose hunger and thirst for righteousness, because then you can be assured that you'll be satisfied. Matthew chapter five and verse six. Here's number three. I would say to my younger self, failure isn't final. Turn your Bible to first Timothy chapter one. First Timothy chapter one. And this is where Paul recounts his conversion. And he's talking to Timothy about how he came to faith and some of the things that were true about him. Paul says in first Timothy one and verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who's enabled me and that he's counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And notice how Paul recounts his past. He says, before I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and an insolent opponent, and I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant upon me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of acceptance everywhere. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
of whom I'm foremost. Paul says, I had a past, but God fixed it. And I would say to my high school self, I would say to those approaching that age, to those of any age, one of the rules of life that we need in order to truly be successful is to remember that failure isn't final. It is not just the case that failure is possible. Failure is inevitable. It's not that you might fail. You will fail. The only thing left to determine is what are you going to do once that happens? So many people make mistakes in life. They say things they never thought they would say and do things they never thought they would do and go places they never thought that they would go. And when they fall and when they fail, they don't learn how to get back up. And I would say if you could learn any lesson, learn this one. Failure is not the end. It doesn't have to be. You get to make a decision. You get to make a choice whether it'll totally define you or just be a moment in time in which you progress from and in which you took as the opportunity to grow. This doesn't mean that, well, since God forgives failure, then I should just go on sinning and do whatever I want. Romans 6 and verse 1, Paul would say, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. But it does mean that if you ever find yourself out in the far country away from God, just know that you serve a God who is waiting on the front porch. He has not changed the locks. The prodigal son came home first First Luke chapter 15, and it says the father looked out and saw him and ran to him and kissed him and fell on his neck and wept and said, this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and he's found. That is to say, it wasn't over for him. It didn't have to be. And in your life, it doesn't have to be either. The world is filled with successful failures. Did you know Walt Disney was fired from the Kansas City Star? An editor said about Walt, he doesn't have any creativity, no imaginations, no ideas. Albert Einstein, his name is synonymous with genius. If you want to say somebody's brilliant, somebody will say this person's Einstein. His parents were perplexed. At four years old, he finally spoke his first words. He didn't learn to read until he was seven years old. He eventually won a Nobel Prize and changed the way our world views physics. Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team. And Abraham Lincoln suffered failure in politics and business before becoming president. Lincoln eventually said to a group on one occasion, I'm really not so much concerned with the fact that you failed, but whether or not you're content with your failure. When life knocks you down and it will. And you find yourself on your back looking up. The question is, will you get up or will you just consider yourself done and finished a failure or will you press on? This is true for every one of us, whether or not we're in high school. Failure isn't final. It really doesn't have to be. In Christianity, failure is a speed bump and not a stop sign. David talked about the in his prayer, the song that we sang, Jeremy led us in unto the old Lord. It's from Psalm 25 It's word for word, almost a verbatim quote of that psalm. And David says in Psalm 25 and verse seven, remember not the sins of my youth. And don't you know, God won't remember those sins. Psalm 25, 11, blot out my iniquity for it is great. And he will. I would say failure isn't final. It's not the end when you make mistakes. It doesn't have to be. Don't stop and let those moments define you. Instead, make up your mind that you're going to press forward and be better as a result of it. But here's number four. Learn how to tell time. The Bible has a lot to say about our lives and the way that we live them. And one of the things scripture reminds us of is that our lives are short. David says that our lives are nothing and our years are nothing before God. Psalm 39 and verse five. Our days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Job 7 and verse 6. In Job 9.25, he says, my days are quicker than a runner. You know, sometimes when you're young, people have this habit of coming up to you, whether you're talking about what you want to do and what you hope to accomplish. And they say something along these lines. You've got your whole life out in front of you. The problem with that statement is nobody really knows what that means. And nobody can tell you how much life you actually have out in front of you. The truth is you have as much of it 
as God chooses to will you and to give you. And so learn how to tell time as soon as you can because you don't know how much of it you have left. In Psalm 89 and verse 47, David says, Lord, remember how short my time is. And as a result, you've made all men vain. Life's short. It happens quick. And so make the best of it. God in his eternal wisdom has doled out everybody's lives in 24 hour periods. That means we should learn to live our lives one day at a time. But we also should learn to live our lives in view of how it all will end. And be thinking about how is this going to work out for me? What am I going to be as a result of the decisions I've made today? Sometimes you're working in the kitchen. Maybe you're out playing or you do something. You bump yourself. You cut yourself. And you don't really realize it until you get in the shower. or Maybe you're doing something later on and you realize there's a bruise. There's a cut. All of a sudden, what you didn't realize you had done, it becomes apparent. And our lives are like that. We go out and we make decisions and we bump ourselves and cut ourselves and bruise ourselves. And we forget how short time is. And then at the end of our lives, we see all of the scars that remain as a result of choices we've made. And we should just remember time short. And are we going to be happy with the version of ourselves that we become in the end? Because we will become what we are becoming. What we're training ourselves to be now is ultimately what we'll be. Turn your Bible to James chapter 4. The Bible says a lot about how we use time and often harshly rebukes those that squander it. James chapter 4 verse 13 down through verse 17 is about a man who's making travel plans. And James says in verse 13, woe to you that say... Today and tomorrow we'll go into such a city and spend a year there and buy and sell and get gain for what is your life? It is even as a mist or a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You should underline that and maybe write this question out in the margin. This is the question everybody in the world has to answer. What am I going to do with my little time? Because that's what James says you have. Your life is even a vapor or a mist that appears for a little time. Question, what are you going to do with your little time? I know it seems like we've got a lot of it. But we really don't. And I would say to my high school self, learn to tell time as soon as you can. When you've got young kids, you're trying to teach them how to tell time. You put up a clock and you try to teach them and they typically struggle, especially when you're teaching small children with the difference between a.m. and p.m. Is it morning or is it night? And that really doesn't change as people get older. People struggle to determine whether it's morning or night. I would just say to you, don't let evening sneak up on you. You don't want to be an older person for the first time. Listen, there's nothing wrong with this. It happens to people. I'm just telling you, if you can have it your way, you don't want to be an old man for the first time learning your way around the Bible. You want to ease into your senior years with comfort, having known your way around the Bible like a season ticket holder knows his way around his favorite stadium. You want to have been walking with God and cultivating a deep spirituality that you won't regret in your later years. Don't waste time. Realize that it's now. Set your spiritual alarm clock and don't oversleep. Be sure that you realize I've really only got a little time. One regret I have is I really didn't seriously start to study the Bible until I was 20 years old. I overslept when I was 20 years old and I saw it and I got it. I had a lot of time to make up. You're growing up in a relationship in a situation where your parents bring you to Bible class where you can study and read and learn the word of God. Capitalize on it now and learn how to tell time because evening will come. There will be a day in which you say, I wish I knew more Bible. I wish I was more familiar with the things of God. I wish my prayer life was deeper and richer. Don't squander it. Make the most of it right now. I knew a man once his wife was sick and she was dying and struggling. And he just said to the person that had come to visit, oh, I really wish right now I knew more of the Psalms. 
He said, I wish I could be able to drive more comfort from those passages. I'm just not as familiar with the Bible as I should be. I don't know his whole life story and what got him to that point. I'm just saying, don't waste the time that God's given you to come to know him now and to know his word. Here's number five. Habits are easy to make and hard to break. I'm talking about sinful habits, things that we might do innocently and we might think to ourselves, well, I can slip sort of in and out of this. This really isn't a big deal. I would say to my younger self, habits are easy to make and they're extremely hard to break. We can start out doing certain things and think, well, I can stop this whenever I get ready. I'm engaged in this for now, but I'm going to eventually stop doing this. I'm just sort of sowing my wild oats and I'll come back to the Lord. I'll get serious about spiritual things later and habits that we start when we're young sometimes don't ever part from us or we spend the rest of our lives trying to do things differently. And I would just say don't waste time. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 and notice verses 1 through 3. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul says, You has he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins, where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the principalities and powers, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all had our conversation in times past and the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. Paul speaks hyperbolically. Paul's saying, you have sinned for so long. Everybody at the accountable age has made choices. And Paul says, as a result, you've become professional sinners. You were by nature the children of wrath, just like the rest. And the only thing that's changed that is in verse 4 when he says, God is rich in mercy and has introduced salvation through Jesus and has made a way for us to redeem ourselves and get out of it. But the point Paul's making in verses 1 through 3 is sin can stick to you if you're not careful. Habits are easy to make and hard to break. Beware of what you think is a controlled porn addiction. By the way, there really are no controlled addictions. Beware of recreational alcohol use and marijuana use. It's funny. The things our society calls recreational are often the things that come into our lives and wreck us. Recreation is supposed to recreate you and make you a better person. But some of the things our world says, just I only do this on the weekends. Listen, I only do this when I'm with my friends. Habits are easy to make, but they're incredibly hard to break. Isaiah says in chapter 3 and verse 11 of Isaiah, woe to the wicked. It will be wicked. It'll be ill for him. It'll be terrible for him if he doesn't change his ways. And what you think, well, I just do this sometimes and I'm doing this now, but eventually I'll change. You just might not. I know people because of their circumstances, where they grew up, the kinds of things they watched and listened to. They started cursing at an early age, just as soon as they can remember. Or maybe they started stealing or doing something. They obey the gospel. They become Christians and try as they might to rid their minds of those words and those thoughts. They're lodged in and occasionally one will slip out and they'll say, I'm just trying to beat that habit. And praise God that they are, that we are. But the point is, it's what started early on, what seemed innocent. Beware of your habits because they're going to form you for a long time. Habits are easy to get into. But they're going to stick with us. What happens to people in those circumstances is their mind is doing exactly what they've trained it to do. What they've trained it to recall. What they've learned to practice. It's just become a part of us. And every one of us has habits. James Clare in his book, Atomic Habits, he says, if you want to stop doing a bad habit, you need to do several things. You need to make it difficult to do. As best you can, make it invisible. Whatever that thing is, get it out of your sight. Make it unattractive and unsatisfying. If you want to get out of bad habits, make sure that you do that. Make it unattractive, invisible, unsatisfying, disgusting to you. And then, he says, you'll break out of that behavior. The wages of sin still are death, Romans 6.23. 
The way of the transgressor is hard. Proverbs 13 and verse 15. And as much as I love the story of the prodigal son, the reality is a lot of prodigals never make it home. And so sometimes a person thinks, well, I'm just going to go out here and live the way that I want. And then I'll come back to God. Beware. A lot of people never make it home from the far country. If you grew up in the church or you're growing up in the church, as we say, just let me say this to you. Your Christianity is not any less important or powerful just because you've grown up in a controlled environment. You should praise God for it. Sometimes people grow up in the church and they've got this idea that, well, I don't really have a road to Damascus experience. I really need to go out there and sin big. So then I'll come back and Jesus will mean more to me. I'll just go out there and live as if I've never known Christ. And then I can really own my faith. And I'm saying the Bible says you don't have to do that. You don't have to engage in a lot of sin to know it's bad for you or it's terrible. Just look at what Christ did for us and appreciate that's enough to remind us of how much it costs God to redeem us and avoid the things that sent Jesus to the cross. Habits are easy to make and hard to break. Now, here's number six. Choose your friends wisely. Proverbs 17 and verse 17 says a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. People say we become like the five people we spend the most time around. That either makes us happy or sad, but the bottom line is you're becoming like the people you're spending a lot of time around. And so be prepared to be shaped into their image because you spend so much time with them and spend time around them. All of your friends don't have to be Christians. I don't think you should obey the gospel and abandon every friend that you've ever had that's not a Christian. Instead, they need your influence. You can help them and bring them to Jesus Christ. We shouldn't treat them as if they have the spiritual cooties, but we should also be careful. We should also be careful that they don't begin to pull us away from the Lord and that we guard our own hearts because we might not be as strong as we think we are. The blessed man in Psalm 1 is marked by his associations. Listen to the psalm. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in this season. His leaf won't wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. Why? Because of his associations. The ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, sinners won't stand in the congregation of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly will perish. And that all starts with, or at least begins with, The people we choose as our friends. Be careful because they're going to shape you. And one way or another, you will be shaped by the people you spend a lot of time with. And I would say to my younger self, choose friends wisely. You need friends that listen to you, but you also need friends that talk to you. Some of us, we've got friends and all they do is listen. All they do is laugh. They tell us everything we think is outstanding. We're so smart. We're so brilliant. And they never rebuke us. They never say we probably shouldn't do that. Hey, you know, I know your parents. They really wouldn't be good with you doing that. Hey, you know better than that. We've been taught differently and we just sort of go along. Solomon says he that is first in his own call seems just, but his neighbor comes and searches him. Proverbs 18 and verse 17. Have friends that love you, that affirm you in good things, but also friends with a backbone that will look you in the face and tell you that was a terrible decision and try your best not to make more like it. Beware of having two camps. Hey, I've got my church friends and around them I'm really deep and spiritual. But then I've got my real friends. These are my sort of we'll just call them. These are my rated R friends. We really do think I know I shouldn't do these. But here's my group. Beware of having a bilingual personality. Just be one person. Be an independent thinker. Don't be a chameleon. Don't let other people make your decisions for you, because at the end of your life, the only life that's going to flash before your eyes is yours. And so be ready to face the movie that you've made with the life that you've lived and choose friends wisely. 
I know Paul wasn't talking to the youth group at Corinth when he says, be not deceived. Evil companions corrupt good morals, but they do. And we need to be careful about the companions that we make. And people change. People that were once faithful and devout may eventually change. And as you see that take place, it might be wise to put some distance between you and them. You say, well, I've known them my whole life. I grew up around them. There's just no way we can part ways. But your life may be going in different courses. And you need to take note of that. Choose your friends wisely. Because you will not be able to choose the effects they have on your life. They will affect you. Whether you want them to or not, you'll become more like them and they'll become more like you. And so be wise. Here's the seventh and final one. God's plans are greater than yours. Prep. Strategize. Have a plan. Be prepared. Have dreams and have goals. And write them all down in pencil. Because God's plans are greater than yours. He knew Jeremiah before Jeremiah was born. Jeremiah 1 and verse 5. Paul says, before I was conceived, he separated me to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Galatians 1, 16 and 15. And the same thing's true about you. It doesn't mean that your life is already pre-planned. That everything you're going to do is basically living out a movie that's already taken place. That's not true. We do make choices. We do make decisions. But we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139, 13 and 14. And God's plans are ultimately greater than ours and we should rejoice in that reality life may not go the way that you want it to go but remember Romans 8 and verse 28 all things work together for good to them that love God to them that are the called according to his purpose that does not mean Romans 8 28 doesn't mean everything's going to be good in your life I hope it is I hope the sun shines for you more than the clouds and the rain coming to your life but whether your life goes very good or very bad by your own estimations just remember no matter what happens God can make a masterpiece with it It's his specialty to take human mess and make a masterpiece. Isaiah says he gives beauty for ashes. Isaiah 61 and verse 3. And just remember, his plans are greater. You say, I want to work this job. I want to work in this field. Even if you don't, God can be glorified. I plan to live here and be married by this age. And there's so much pressure right now. What do you want to be when you grow up? And why isn't your life moving at a more rapid pace? Why don't you already have all of this figured out? You don't have to because you serve a God who already does. He knows the end from the beginning, Isaiah 46 and verse 10, and that should give you peace and comfort. By all means, prepare. By all means, plan. But let your heart be at rest and at ease that you don't have to know every decision and every choice that you're going to make because there's a God out in front of you leading you who already has those things figured out. Listen, I was just sure that I was going to the NFL and Mr. McIntosh squashed those plans for me. And then I knew I would go to law school and maybe be a lawyer. I'm glad God's plans are greater than mine's. Oh, the peace that was Joseph's when he realized God does things in the valleys that we have no idea about. Joseph told his brothers in Genesis 45, 7 and 8, God sent me before you to preserve you and to save many people alive. It wasn't you that sent me here, but God. And at the end of his life, he could say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good as it is this day to save much people alive. Genesis 50, 19 through 21. Joseph realized God's in charge and not me. And that's perfectly fine. In Ephesians 3 and verse 20, Paul says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or even think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Paul says God can do more than we ask or even think. Shoot for the moon. Shoot for the stars. Have great plans. And remember, your greatest plans, God's plans are greater than even those. He can do more than you ask or think. You've got big dreams for yourself. God has bigger ones. You can't outdream God. He's the one that gives us our ability to move and live and have our very being. 
And I would just say, take the pressure off yourself. It's really not all up to you. You serve a God that has great things in store. I wouldn't go back if I could to high school. It was a great time, but I'm closer to heaven now than I've ever been before. And if you're in high school, I would just say, it's a great time. It's a challenging time. It's a confusing time, but it can be a blessed time. It doesn't have to be the final thing known about you. You will make mistakes, but failure doesn't have to be final. Continue to press toward the goal and remember not to waste your life. If you say, I'm at the accountable age, I know I violated God's will and I know what I should do. Don't postpone faithfulness to him. Don't give the devil any years. Submit yourself to Jesus Christ because he's your Lord too. submit to him now. Turn away from sin and be immersed in water to have your sins forgiven. Whatever our age, that's the need of every human heart to be obedient to the God who made us. And until we do that, whatever else we do with our lives, we've done it in vain and we've run our race in vain. Maybe you need the prayers of the church. We'd be happy to pray for you if we can help you in any way. All of us are moving in the direction toward the eternal finish line. And as we look back at different stages of our lives, we should prepare ourselves in such a way that we can look back with few regrets as possible. Not because we've been perfect and have done everything right, but because we follow the perfect God. And then one day we'll meet him in peace and he'll say, welcome home. We've been waiting for you. Jeremy's going to lead us in a song to encourage us if you need to respond. Come now as together we stand and as we sing.